0: Kevin Bowen here. Don't forget to listen to the fan now on 93.5 or 107.5 FM and check out our latest coverage online at 107.5 thefan.com. And we are back. Another edition of Kevin's Corner. We are, I guess, just over a month away, Chris Presley, from the Colts reporting to Grand Park for training camp. And. Saw a few Colts yesterday. I was up at Anthony Calhoun's golf outing. How'd you shoot? Didn't play too great. Um, <laughs> yeah, to be <laughs> to be uh, very honest with you, a little bit of a struggle. I look like I belong on the Live Golf Tour uh, in my struggles. <laughs> Unfortunately, not with my...
1: Well, you can make more money that way.
0: Uh, not with my bank account, though. I should probably clarify that. But yeah, a little bit of a struggle yesterday, but nonetheless, a beautiful day. Saw Chris Ballard, Frank Reich... Ryan Kelly, Naeem Hines, Joe Wright, former Colt player, great, great human. Uh, Chuck Pagano was out there. It's always interesting, you know, you see the interaction between Boward and Pagano. I'm thinking to myself, well, didn't one of you, didn't you fire the other guy? <laughs> you know, I'm kind of like, boy, I don't know if I would react that way to my old boss, but I know, I know Chris Boward thinks, has always spoken very highly of Chuck, but. Maybe that was more of a Jim Irsay call, nonetheless. Um, It was a good day out there, and uh, they're all going to get away now for a little bit and then reconvene in late July at Graham Park. Uh, How are you doing, man?
1: I'm doing all right. Uh, Congratulations to your Irish since the last time we were on here. Hey. We did speak about my Tennessee Volunteers versus your Notre Dame Irish when it came to college baseball, and you guys went into Knoxville. Did the job, moved on to Omaha.
0: So, um, congrats to you. That is a very stand-up effort by you there. Um, I don't know if I would have returned the favor had the roles been <laughs> reversed, but that goes to show you the type of human you are. As we're speaking right now, Notre Dame is about to begin play in the elimination game from Omaha. Notre Dame and Texas A&M um, are taking to the plate there. You know, college baseball, Chris, that was a fun environment. Uh, obviously, it did not go the way that you wanted it to, but... Uh, I enjoyed greatly that series. Certainly, it helps when Notre Dame does what they did. But something about college baseball. Just, Saw on the elimination aspect to it. I think there's a little bit more kind of trash talk, which I like. A little bit more uh, emotion, a little bit more juice. You know, 162 games of a regular season probably plays in. You just can't. You know, It would be pretty manufactured if you try to go there night in and night out. But uh, nonetheless, a hell of a season by your Vols. And uh, let's get into today's pod. Yep. We, I guess, have a kind of a safety focus with today's podcast, if you will. Uh, we haven't spoken since Kari Willis retired. Uh, that was, what, last Thursday, if you listened to Kevin Quarry on Thursday morning. You certainly would have heard me hint at that coming, and then we saw it officially announced, I would say, just after lunchtime on Thursday. Um, so we're going to give our thoughts on that, and then, we had Mike Loxley, the head coach of the Maryland Terrapins, on our morning show eh, probably about a month ago at this point. And I was kind of waiting for a time to fit in this interview at some point in the offseason pods, and I'm like, well, uh, Nick Cross, hello. <laughs> he is going to play a huge role for this team now, uh, potentially from day one. And so I felt like that it would be a good time to throw that in there. So to be myself and Jake Quarry, you'll hear on that interview. And the thing with Loxley is – the interview does kind of go down some different directions, not just Nick Cross-related. So hopefully you enjoy that. If not, I totally get it, but that's just part of the interview that we did on our morning show there. So, um, Anything else before we jump into the meat of it?
1: No, I mean, again, you guys had a great golf outing. $450,000 raised Man. for Anthony Calhoun. Um, teachers, to treasures. teacher's Treasures, yeah. which is a great sponsor of us at the station as well. And just a great day. And how how was Mike Wells? How was he
0: shooting yesterday? Well, uh, I think Wells is just happy to be out there and have people <laughs> um, throw him on their shoulders and then just carry <laughs> Mike Wells around, which if you've seen Mike Wells, um, no. Uh, Wells knows full well his role. He was on a very good team. I think he got second or third, if I'm not mistaken, okay. yesterday. So maybe I'm a little bitter. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, good to see Wells out there and a few of my other colleagues and Bill Brooks and Ken Delger and I'm trying to think of the other former Colts I saw out there. It was a good showing. Marcus yes. Brady, offense coordinator. Frank Reich looks like he can swing it, uh, which I don't think should surprise too many people. No, he looks like an athlete out there. Um, so yeah, Teacher's Treasures is someone that comes from a family of educators. Um, I love love that cause, and AC does tremendous work here, and really it's inspiring to see some of that. So. Maybe one day we can try and execute a golf outing and donate it to a cause that is extremely worthy, like teacher's treasures. Absolutely. Is. Uh, With that being said, should we jump into the Kari Willis?
1: Yeah, let's go to Kari Willis because it it caught some people off guard. Like you mentioned earlier in the podcast, you kind of got an inkling early. What are your reactions to that?
0: Yeah, Chris, we get so many great questions in the offseason. And a question that kind of popped into my head after the Kari Willis retirement, I honestly think my mom kind of hinted this at me, um, was this a surprise. You know, that's the popular question. And Chris, have if someone would have sent in a question in previous pods and they would have said, hey, uh, give me the top five Colts under the age of 30 that you think could retire tomorrow, I probably would have put Kari Willis on that list. I don't know if I would have put him one or two, but I probably would have put him on that list Um, and you know what you watch him play the game of football and you get zero inkling of that he plays it in such a physical manner Um, he's extremely intelligent out there Uh, he's an important player for this team you know yeah he struggled at times last season but I think he's still someone that kind of makes you sleep better at night but faith means a whole lot to him and I think you got to start there Chris Dating back to his rookie season, and Zach Kiefer for The Athletic wrote a really in-depth piece on this. You will recall that Kari Willis and his girlfriend, uh, their twins were delivered, I want to say, three months early. So this happened the day, either the night of or the day after a preseason game. And it all of a sudden just flips Kari Willis's rookie season upside down. He basically works at West 56th Street all day long and then drives down to Peyton Manning Children's Hospital, and boom, he's spending the night next to his twins and did that for about three or four months. So I can't even imagine the acclimation period to the NFL and then couple that with, you know, you're unsure if your twins are going to live, you're unsure you know, what their future's going to be like, you know, all of those things. So um, he pretty much said that at that point, you know, faith was his backbone, and the thing that got him through that you know, I'm not sure if that life-altering event happens if all of a sudden he is retiring at this point because, Chris, I think there's a financial aspect you have to look at it. I'm going to try and pull up Kari Willis's contract as we're talking here. But he was going into the last year of his rookie deal. $2.5 million is what he um, laid on the table there. And his original contract was four years, $3.2 million, if I'm looking at this correctly. That was his rookie deal. So think about that. He is leaving a large chunk of that contract on the table. He's not even waiting for a second contract, which we mm-hmm. always hear. You know that is the real kind of lucrative, lucrative um, thing that you want to see uh, on a contract. Of hey, I'm getting to the second contract and it's a multi-year deal, and now I'm making some serious money. All of that. Um, so I, I think that is something that really stands out to me about, man, this clearly means a lot. You know, when you go back to the spring and you saw that him and Yannick Ngakwe were both away from the team and Kari Will stayed away from the team during the mandatory portion, I mean, that's when stuff kind of rises a little bit more. You're like, wait, what? Well, you know, That's something serious is going on for a person to miss mandatory minicamp. I mean, it's a three-day camp in the middle of June. Um something must really be going on here. So I think that was when I was like, wow, um, something is up here. But, again, we know full well that off the field, faith-wise, it's always been something that is extremely top of mind for him. He was the keynote speaker of the Big Ten uh, kickoff luncheon back in his final year at Michigan State. That is a very um, prestigious award, prestigious nomination to get, and Kari Willis was selected for that. Um, So, yeah, I was – I was not too surprised. I'd say the other thing, Chris, and feel free to chime in. The position that I always looked at this offseason and thought to myself, "Man, the Colts are really doing a lot at that position." Yep. Was safety. Yes. Uh, You go back to April. Rodney McLeod comes in. Rodney McLeod's been a full-time starter in this league since 2014. Mm -hmm. Chris, I, I don't. You know, I was still battling puberty. I think in 2014. (laughs) You know, that's a guy just doesn't come here if he doesn't think there's some open playing time. And at the time I'm thinking, oh, boys, it's not good for Julian Blackman's situation. Well, then we see Blackman, you know, look great uh, during OTAs and mini camp. Uh, and then the Nick Cross draft pick obviously was another move. Um, and if you remember the with the next pick clip that we've talked about on the show before, that final draft episode that came out, and Chris Bauer says to his scouts, all right, you know, it's Thursday night. First round's over. We didn't have a selection. We're coming back tomorrow. At the time, you had, what, the three selections, I think? Mm-hmm. Um, he's saying to them at that point, think wide out, think tight end, think offensive tackle, think corner, think safety. And I remember walking away from that and being like, safety? Really? That's held in the same sort of regard as those other positions that I think are much more pressing. Do you think he knew? I think, yeah. Yeah. I think there was a strong inkling. Um, I guess I don't know that for sure. I'm going more of off educated guess. I want to make that very clear. But that move, you know, the Rodney McLeod move, I mean, yes, George Odom left, so, you know, there is some Mm -hmm. open spots. And sure, down the road, you know, we talked about it the Monday after the draft. I thought the biggest loser of the draft on the roster was Corey Willis because of the Nick Cross selection and him going into a contract year and all those things. But um, one thing I do want to note, Chris, is, you know, yes, Kari Wills, at times, I thought, struggled last season. But I think back to that Steelers game a few years ago. When the Colts have a big lead in that game, they're in, at Heinz Field. At that point, I think they were still in the hunt for the AFC South, yep. trying to get a home game. And Cary Wills gets hurt on special teams. And all of a sudden, the very, I think the very next possession, Ben Roethlisberger, goes over the top for a big touchdown. And it just snowballed from there. And... I think in a private moment, Chris Bauer would tell you that moment changed everything down the stretch for them. And now, you know, you're at Buffalo for the playoff game. Uh, you know, Willis, I just never felt like the Colts felt totally comfortable with their depth at safety back then. And I just think for the most part, he's in position, he's sound, he's reliable, and that will be missed. You know, is Nick Cross flashier? As Rodney McLeod have more than 120 starts in the league? Yeah. All those things. Is Gus Bradley asking the safeties to do some different things? Sure. But I I do think Kyrie Willis is a player that you would rather have than not have. I mean, I truly thought, thought that team.
1: it was going to be Willis and Blackman. Sure. Back there for years to hopefully come, right? years. Yeah, years down the road. But
0: yeah. I that
1: mean the thought. we've seen players like Chris Borland from the Niners, and there there have been a lot of players that have been good at their position that have retired early. And listen, the money might not be as sexy as all the other money that people potentially get, but Kevin, if I gave you that amount of money that he's already made and he feels like he needs to step away from the game, you could survive off that.
0: <laughs> and. and- I think a point to make out, Chris, too, is like, I mean, I don't know what it's like to go through the life events that Kari Willis has gone through. You know, I mean, that's extreme, beyond extreme. I mean, it's stuff that you never really, truly envision, And we don't know what else. I mean, Kari's a very private guy, not on Twitter. I think mm-hmm. that was his first ever Instagram post, if I'm not mistaken, him announcing his retirement. And you're going to do that and pass up that money? I mean, that is notable. Um, also, Chris, think about his conversations with Frank Reich a guy that, you know, waited after football, but I mean, he was a minister immediately. Yeah. I mean, he, in a way he was devoting his life to Christ for, you know, X amount of years in that manner. Um, you know, I, I guess at safety moving forward, it's kind of, what do you want as your cup of tea? Do you want the guy you trust a little bit more Rodney McLeod or do you look at the 20 year old soon to be 21 year old Nick cross and say, let's go. I mean, by all accounts, mentally, They were pretty impressed by what he showed. Um, Certainly his physical skill set, his height, his size, his speed, all of that checks the box. So I think we now throw that up there with left tackle in the position battle. And honestly, you probably feel better about safety than you do tackle because Matt Pryor only has two career starts there. Bernard Ryman, you know, third-round pick at that position, I think is a little bit different than playing safety. Um, And then obviously Ryan McLeod having more than 120 career starts. Um, Anything else on the Willis front?
1: Nothing on the Willis front, but just as you were talking about the offensive line, I did see Quentin Nelson and Ryan Kelly at the Morgan Wallen concert this past week.
0: Can I raise my hand, Chris? Go for it. Uh, You texted me that, and I put in my maps, Morgan Wallen, I thought it was a restaurant downtown.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, he is the number one country artist right now.
0: Now my wife, I did ask her as well, and she was like, "What? Where is it? Is it a?" Re-? She actually agreed with me on that, so um, I know absolutely nothing because then I woke up the next morning and started scrolling through my Instagram. I'm like, "Everybody I know is at Morgan Wallen."
1: <laughs> it's it was a. Uh, Give
0: me like a. Uh, are we talking Luke Bryan? Are we talking like uh, Sam Hunt? He are was we, he what, was canceled. what type of country?
1: He was canceled for a while, so he originated um the first time he came out was on the voice and usher selected him got it uh started to make some hits he's a little bit more urban country if that makes any sense to you like there's some nice uh bass beats behind a lot of his things got canceled for a while because of an incident Uh, which we don't need to discuss on this podcast. Yeah, okay. So he was off the grid for about two or three years, came back, started selling out shows. For instance, if you live in the Indianapolis area, you'll know this, at Ruoff, a lawn seat was $550. Do it again. $550 for a lawn seat. That's how quick it sold out. All of his shows are selling out in about 10 minutes.
0: Gotcha. Well, maybe I should know this dude
1: no but it, it it was kind of funny because i'm walking i'm walking back up from uh the pavilion yeah and i'm like that looks like quentin nelson and i de- definitely know that's ryan kelly and i i was kind of proud of myself because i was actually taller than both of them now granted they're barrel chested and more physically imposing than i am but i was like okay so I looked at Ryan, talked to him for a second and uh I was happy that him and his wife and Quentin and uh, I believe probably girlfriend or wife I don't know if he's married or not. Believe girlfriend, yes. Um yeah, had a gra- had yes. a great time.
0: There you go. Well, I uh showing my age there. Um that's a little awkward that I admitted that publicly. Um I guess I'm not showing my age, I'm just showing my ineptitude of knowledge of country music there. No,
1: it all depends on what you like to listen to, but yeah, no, it was, it was a great show. And, uh, it was cool to see some, some Colts
0: players out there on the safety note. Uh, let's give the Mike Loxley yeah, interview let's... again, for those that, um, did not hear that, or just a little bit of a re update, if you will. Uh, we caught up with Mike Loxley head coach of Maryland, uh, about a month ago on our morning show, Kevin and query myself and Jake query host that. So a couple of questions, non Nick cross related, but several, on the Colts' young safety. And uh, here is that interview um, from Mike Loxley, head coach of Maryland. Prompt and on time, our next guest, who we greatly appreciate joining us to talk more about new Colts' safety, Nick Cross. He's the head coach of the Maryland Terrapins, coming off a pinstripe bowl victory this past season. Mike Loxley joins us right now. Coach, really appreciate you making time for us.
2: No problem. No problem at all.
0: We wanted to ask about uh, safety Nick Cross, who I know left school early to come into the NFL draft. The Colts made a very rare move. They traded back into the third round to get him. Um, What were your conversations, if any, like with the Colts during the draft process about Nick?
2: I think the big thing with everybody in terms of Nick was just uh, you know, in my opinion, I, I still think his best football is ahead of him. Um, you know, everybody's enamored by the speed, the size, the skill set. Um, but he's a fairly young football player in that, you know, he wasn't one of those guys that grew up playing youth football. I think he didn't play college, play football until he got into high school. And, and then even then, just you, you saw how he, you know, matured as a football player throughout his time at DeMatha. And then, you know, the three years he spent with us and, you know, he's one of the guys that uh, went against the grain when he decided to come to Maryland because I, he was a guy that we recruited, you know, very heavily when I was at Alabama, and then when I got the Maryland job, uh, he was one of the first local guys here, the highly recruited guys that decided decided to stay at home, which to me I think shows the type of character he has, Coach.
3: You know, you were a defensive back yourself, and that's, if I'm not mistaken, as you came About up through the ranks.
2: pounds ago. <laughs> well, hey,
3: <laughs> you know, listen, as I said, you know, we're the same age group, right? I, I understand, but that was the position you played, and then you coached it for the better part of your, you know, coming up through the ranks into becoming a head coach. I, I think sometimes guys, when they are coaching players that play the same position that you had played as a player, it's difficult. To, to teach guys what is what was instinctive to you as a player. Did Nick Cross have that natural instinct that you didn't have to teach in terms of his reactionary play as a defensive back?
2: Yeah, there's, there's no doubt. Um as the, the, the longer he was here at Maryland, you started to see it really come through. Um, he showed great range. Um, you know, we all know about his track times and, he, and you know, he's an accomplished track guy um, out of high school. And, and, and But you saw the range that he showed that, I mean, as I remember talking to a few teams saying, you know, he's one of those guys that you can play in the deep part of the field as well as come down in the box as well as blitz can be a slot safety, slot nickel guy and very Really, these safeties that can do all three—they usually either are a deep middle third player or they're a down safety. And, and Nick's one of those guys that I think the versatility of his skill set allows him to do a multiple of things.
0: It seems like that's huge with Gus Bradley's system as well. Again, Mike loxley joins us, the head coach of the Maryland Terrapins, also the head coach of Nick Cross, who the Colts took late in the third round, traded back up uh last month or I guess late April I, I want to go back to the recruiting story w- with him coach because you mentioned you know at, at Alabama you guys were on him when I hear DeMatha I think basketball um certainly a very talented football player but he was probably one of the more highly recruited guys you have gone after and and gotten to come to Maryland correct
2: yeah he was with that first recruiting class and again he had offers to Florida State, Alabama, Penn State—you name it—and uh, you know I had developed a really strong relationship with him and his family during my time at Alabama, and so it was kind of weird when I switch hats after uh, the championship game at Alabama and returned to Maryland. Um, I had to put the Maryland hat on, and, and uh, it was—it was a battle to get him to want to stay home, and you know. But after showing him how he could be a part of building something, which you know us going from you know two wins to seven wins during his tenure Senior uh, can be attributed to the leadership that Nick showed. Uh, he was one of those guys that was, you know, a hard worker, did all the things right, was totally bought into the culture of what it takes to win, and you know, definitely set the stage for us to be able to build on the foundation that guys like him help establish here at Maryland.
3: Coach, I've got a, a ton of respect for you, and I want to tell you why, and I hope this doesn't encroach into a too personal an area. Okay. but your your job you know we're we're, like I said we're roughly the same age range here and I think that there is an importance and a significance in trying to guide young people in the right direction and you know you're a father I am not but you you lost a son to violence and now you are a coach that is doing exactly that with young people a guy like Nick Cross for example that maybe you felt like he left a little early I don't know but you got to let him spread his wings a little bit. How much of molding young people is motivated now and fueled by the memory of your son who was killed five years ago?
2: You know, um, I think losing my son, Miko, um, it opened up. A couple of things for me that that has have made me a better coach. Um, one, I was always one of those guys that maybe didn't respect time. I always could easily say, "Hey, I'll I'll, t- I'll get to that tomorrow," or you know, put it off and, and wait. And then all of a sudden, you get a knock at the door, and and as I've said before, the circle of life isn't built for parents to bury children. Um, and so losing them showed me just the value of time because I always thought I'd see him walk down the aisle have his first child, uh, you know, see him grow into becoming a dad. and When you lose that opportunity, it really makes you think back and say, you know what? Um, as I tell people, losing him uh, taught me that my give-a-crap gauge is on E and that all I want to do now with the platform I have as a head coach is to find a way to, to make the, the young men that are uh, brought to me and my program are able to leave here the best version of themselves that they can possibly be as uh, better Fathers, better husbands, better men. And then the second part of it, you know, Miko dealt with mental health issues. And uh, what it did to me is show that here's a kid that grew up with both parents at home, a solid foundation academically. And a lot of the kids I recruit don't have that. And so if he could deal with, it, end up having and dealing with mental health issues, imagine what some of these kids that don't come from the same type of environment deal with. And so it's really made me as a head coach put programs together within my program to, to to deal with the mental health aspect of what these young men have gone through and are going through in their lives to be able to allow them to unpack the luggage and, and be the best version of themselves. So it's kind of twofold, and, and definitely uh, those two things are probably the things that uh, I learned from the adversity, adversity of losing my son. You
3: know, we were talking earlier about the fact – 20 years ago today was when the television show The Wire was released. I realize not everybody listening to this has seen The Wire, but it takes place in Baltimore. It fictionally involves kids that grow up on the street in Baltimore, the drug trafficking in the gangs of Baltimore. I, I don't know, Coach, if you have seen the show, but I thought it was a very important show because it allowed for someone like me who did not grow up in that environment to grow in empathy towards people that did. And I think that we have lost sight of that a little bit for people that get too focused in their own snow globe. Does that make sense what I'm saying?
2: Definitely. Definitely. And as a person that kind of grew up in that environment in the D.C. area, um, again, you know, a single-parent mom raised me and my two brothers and sisters. My sister and uh, my coaches became like father figures. And if you look at shows like The Wire that depict kind of – the urban environment of what these kids go through. It's exactly what I'm referencing when you're talking about some of the kids that we recruit into college um, football programs. Uh, they come with grown, grown up luggage. Uh, they deal with a lot of things. That, um, the normal kid doesn't have to deal So that adjustment of going to college, playing football, working to get a degree, those things are all very challenging. And so as a coach, we want to do all we can to give them all the tools and resources to leave there with the education, the degree, but also an opportunity to take advantage of a God-given talent, which is to play football.
0: He's Mike Loxley. He's the head coach of the Maryland Terrapins. He's with us here talking about Nick Cross, among other things. Um, the Colts' third-round pick out of Maryland, safety. There. Um, one more thing on Nick. Um, could you share a little bit about him inside the classroom? You know, it always you know amazes me, and it, I don't say this. Um, to try and carry the Colts' water. But you, you listen to these draft picks every time the Colts have made a pick. It, you know, I'm just kind of blown away by the maturity that they seem like they have. I know Nick's a young guy, I think just 20 years old. Um, but what is he like uh, off the field? Because the combine numbers obviously speak for themselves.
2: Yeah, he's one of those kids who grew up in a great home, mom and dad. Into college with the right stuff. He's one of the few guys that from high school was able to get into our business program straight from high school. Usually you have to be here a couple of years, but he obviously showed the ability um, for an academic skill set to get into one of the top business schools in the program and thrive academically. I mean, he was one of those guys that I didn't have to chase the class. High character, understood the importance of uh, the education piece, understood the importance of making good decisions and choices off the field. Um, Never had any issue with Nick. And I I think, you know, when you look at the type of uh, player he was for us, uh, the type of leader he was for us, usually how you are off the field is usually how you are on the field. And and, and I think you're going to see you guys are getting a, a guy that will work um, will keep himself out of trouble, uh, will be a great teammate, will be great in that locker room, and uh, as I said, I still think his best football's is ahead of him.
3: Did you feel like, Coach, with your and I love the, the phrase, your, your give-a-crap factor was on E, your perspective changing about living for today and not tomorrow, did that in any way affect the level of support you had for Nick when he decided to leave early to go into the league? Did that weigh into it? In other words, would the Mike Loxley of 15 years ago have said, "Hey, I don't know that you're ready"? Were you influenced by the "seize the moment" mantra?
2: You know what, being in this business 30 years and having 36 guys that were drafted in the first or second round, when it comes to make these decisions about when's whether to enter the, the, the draft or not, you know, my job is to create the. Um, to get the infor- information and gather the information for the for the kid and his family, um, obviously with the ties we have and I have to a lot of the NFL teams, I reached out personally to find out, hey, where do people see Nick? Based on you know the tape and based on the things that they've evaluated, I give them the information and then it's their decision. I can remember. Uh, back in 1999 I had a running back Lamont Jordan that uh, was thinking about coming out he just rushed for 1800 yards and he came and asked me my opinion as a young coach what do you think I should do and of course I said you need to come back and the next year he didn't have the type of year that he had from year one the, the year before and I felt like crap I'm thinking man I gave bad advice so from that day on I learned these are family decision personal decisions that the kid needs to be able to make my job is to get the information to give it to him and say this is what people think but it always comes to betting on yourself and nick definitely bet on himself it worked out great for him i think being drafted by the colts the history of what the C- position has done there and playing for a former terp and coach reich and You know, I think it worked out great for Nick.
3: And Not only that, Coach, uh, in conclusion here, you know, Jim Mercer, the owner of the Colts, has really in the last two years elevated his initiative of kicking the stigma about mental health, raising awareness about mental health, trying to create resources for people that are battling with mental health. And I know that that's a cause that is close to you for the reasons that you mentioned in this interview between that Frank Reich um, and now Nick cross being here with Indianapolis. Uh, you know, I hope that that bridge maybe is extended to you as well to become, you know, kind of a part of that initiative with Jim Irsay and the Colts. And I think it sounds like you've got kind of the Colts value that they talk about themselves. So it sounds like a good fit. And certainly I hope it's one that can extend to a, a continued growth with you and your program as well.
2: Yeah. Appreciate that for sure.
0: Thank you, Coach. Appreciate. It. Thank you, Coach. Thank Appreciate God. the time. Yep. Thank you. That's Mike Loxley right there on the Payless Liquors hotline. Fear the turtle, man. And enjoy that conversation with him. Um, certainly, he's been through a lot, and you know, I, I think the whole building relationships, Jake, from an Alabama standpoint, from a recruiting front, and then able to keep Nick Cross um, at Maryland. It's not like Maryland is a hotbed for football recruiting talent just goes to show you the type of relationship that uh, Mike Loxley was able to create with
3: Nick his son was an athlete and you know a college athlete that was then diagnosed as schizophrenic also with bipolarity and was fatally shot in 2017 in an unsolved murder I believe it's still unsolved at this time and he's been very Um, active since then about mental health, very similar to Jim Irsay's initiatives in trying to, to make people kick down that stigma, if you will, about mental illness and the situations in which it can put someone in. And I applaud and commend, I don't have kids, so I can't speak to how difficult this must be, but to recognize that the situations that his son were that his mental illness put his son in situations that put his life in peril you know to recognize that as opposed to not using it as an excuse but rather as a teaching point for other people i think is very commendable
0: yeah i can't even imagine um extremely impressive what he is doing outside of you know running a big 10 football program which brings obvious challenges as well and that is alma mater correct isn't loxley a maryland guy
3: uh he played at towson state i believe state uh, but he had coached at maryland previously um he's coached a lot of places uh, i believe the naval academy as well um uh, but i mean seems like a nice guy yeah, i mean look at he's coached at uh, navy prep sorry so uh towson state was where he played then he coached at Navy, Prep, Pacific, Army, Maryland. These are all his assistants. Florida, Illinois, New Mexico, back to Maryland, Alabama, and then Maryland as a head coach.
0: Hope you guys enjoyed that. Again, that is Mike Loxley, the head coach of the Maryland Terrapins. And Nick Cross, Chris Presley. It's funny. We had George Bremmer on our morning show. George, one of my favorite people. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I asked George, and this was Wednesday, so this was, no, yeah, okay. I think this is, at this point, I pretty much knew that Kari Willis was going to to retire. And I asked George, like, name the rookie that you think will impact the most from day one, not name Alec Pierce. If you would have asked me that this time last week, Chris, I don't think I would have said Nick Cross second. You know, I think you say maybe Jelani Woods, maybe Bernard Ryman, if you think he's gonna win right. that job. Um I get that Gus Bradley's gonna do some things different safety wise, but I, I, I don't know. I probably wouldn't have gone cross. I think Bremer did go cross second. And right now, hell, you can make the argument if Nick Cross wins that safety job, Chris, he 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 means more than Alec Pierce almost. Yeah. Um now I still think Alec Pierce is going to be needed a whole lot, but It's crazy how things can shift, you know, with one injury, with one retirement, something like that. So, um, again, hope you guys enjoyed the Loxley interview there on uh, a little bit on Nick Cross.
1: Kevin, do you want to jump to Twitter questions? Let's
0: do it, man. Did Gronk just retire? Am I seeing that?
1: I do not know. I'm not on Twitter right now. I can – did he?
0: Mm -hmm. I
1: mean, he's (laughs) – how many times is he going to (laughs) retire?
0: You got to love this one from Schefter. In reaction to Gronk's news, his agent, Drew Rosenhaus, text, it would not surprise me if Tom Brady calls him during the season to come back and Rob answers the call. This is just my opinion, but I wouldn't be surprised if Rob comes back during the season or next season.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> makes sense.
0: <laughs> Boy, you imagine seeing Rob Gronkowski at a country concert?
1: He would be there.
0: Boy, he'd be there.
1: <laughs> he'd be there, his shirt would be off, he'd yeah, be swinging bro. around his mm-hmm. head.
0: <laughs> yep, hide your significant other if you happen to be there. <laughs>
1: This one comes from Trevor. First question out of the gate from Twitter questions. What are some things that Mo Ali cock should work on while attending Tight End U? And we discussed Tight End U, I believe, a pod or two ago.
0: Speaking of Tight Ends, speaking of Gronk, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, for those that don't know, Chris, just fill us in a little bit on Tight End U.
1: So Tight End U is um, basically a training camp that is put on by – um oh, why am I spacing on both names? Kelsey?
0: There? Gronk Kel- or um
1: Kelsey and Olsen, I mean? Yes, Greg Olson and Kelsey. Um they invite all of the tight ends, it's it's been growing over the years to come down. They work on things, they basically treat it like we talked about on, on a couple podcasts ago, like the manning camp with quarterbacks. And so Mo Ali Cox apparently has been invited, and hopefully, I
0: think that Manning Camp's going on too now. I I think it's Kittle now that I think about it out loud. Or no, right? yeah,
1: it is. It it, it is Kittle. George it's Kittle. It's George Kittle and Greg Olson. And Greg Olson. Um, so yeah, tied in You glad yeah. that he was invited? Glad that he's going. Why not?
0: Yeah, no, I think it's great. Um, you know, what does Mo Ali Cox need to work on? Yeah, you know, I've always thought this about Mo. It's just, and Chris, I don't know how much you can develop these. It's just like the natural athlete, the natural traits of playing tight end, looking a little bit more fluid, being a natural runner and catcher of the football, um, getting away from the basketball. I mean, think about your footwork, like in the paint and basketball. This is a little bit different than, you know, running a route tree where, all right, you you know, you're running eight yards this way and, you know, you're going to break that way. I mean, the only time you're running eight yards on a basketball floor is you're just you're just jogging. At that point, down for the for the other possession there. So, um, I think it's all good stuff though to see these guys going to these sorts of events, going to camps. Um, I think it's extremely beneficial to be around other tight ends. You know, maybe learn some film stuff. Um, I think it's really cool that Olson and Kittle do that. Um, I think that's smart as well. So. You know, uh, you guys heard me say I didn't love what I saw out of the tight ends in the spring. Um, I, I almost feel like we haven't talked enough about them. You know, we talk about the wide receiver group as the most unproven group in the NFL. Chris, of your top four tight ends, only one has been in the league longer than one year, and that's Mo, and he's a former basketball player. You know, it's just it's just kind of crazy how unproven you are at tight end. I mean, we talk so much about wideout, out, but yeah. I would say tight end would fall into that group as well.
1: Next one comes from Tanner Kent Sterling, which if you are not from the Indianapolis area, he is a local media person, brought this up, and he'd like to hear your thoughts on a player-for-player trade for Kenny Moore and Scary Terry McLaurin, a cathedral graduate. Yeah. I know there's no replacing Kenny Moore, but I feel like our defense is strong enough that we can get by without him, and our offense would just go over the top if we could make that trade with Washington,
0: so this is interesting. I feel like um, this is starting to gain some traction.
1: This it is
0: Terry McLaurin thing, and I guess um, I I get the cathedral angle. I get I believe his agent, if I'm not mistaken, it's Buddy Baker, who is based out of Indianapolis. Um, boy, I I don't. First off, Tanner, Kenny Moore for Terry McLaurin I don't think would work. Um, I think you would have to up the ante. Um, Terry McLaurin younger, Terry McLaurin playing the more prominent position. Um, yes, there's a financial component too, but I think you'd have to up the ante on that. Um, and I guess two other things, Chris, stand out to me. First off, you trade for Terry McLaurin. You give him the contract extension that he wants and deserves. What do you do with Michael Pitt in the next year?
1: You know? I mean, Um, who's who's one and who's two?
0: Well, I mean, financially, all of a sudden, you're going to spend it wide out like that? That that doesn't strike me as a Chris Bauer thing to do. Um, He's always been a big draft your own and resign your own. I I don't think you'd let Pittman walk. Do you have room for Pittman and Terry and Nelson and 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 Leonard Leonard and Jonathan Taylor? Like, (laughs) it just... I I don't see it. Could you make all of that work? You probably could, but again, that's not how the Colts usually operate with cash versus cap and all those things. The second part that stands out to me, and honestly, this goes back to a discussion we had back in March and April when some of those bigger names were out there, when Devontae Adams was on the move, when Tyree Kill was on the move, when Deshaun Watson was on the move, Russell Wilson on the move. Chris, I just don't feel like the Colts can do any of these sort of moves i.e. give up an important draft pick for a player until they find the future quarterback. That is more of my opinion, but if I'm running the show, and let's say Matt Ryan looks really bad this year for some reason, or Matt Ryan just has a change of heart, and he reaches 38 years old and says, all right, enough's enough. I don't really feel like playing. I didn't love, whatever. Move my family up here, whatever. Now, all of a sudden, you enter next year's draft, and let's say you have to give up a second for Terry. And you've won 10 games. How are you trading up from 24 to wherever you need to get to to find the future at quarterback? Uh, that's why the Nick Cross trade at first, I kind of was like, whoa, I don't know about that. Like, giving up a future pick for a luxury item now. He doesn't look very luxury now. He looks pretty important now with the Kari Willis news. But... This seems a little bit too mad and video gamey to me. Where are you paying everybody? And again, what are you doing at quarterback? And I get it. I know that people are saying, screw that, win now, give Matt Ryan all the weapons. You've been clamoring for a wideout forever. You guys know full well the future quarterback is always, always, and will always be top of mind for him. Yes. So I know that probably gets a little boring and redundant and people want to you know, spice things up a little bit. But unfortunately, with your draft picks, with the future quarterback, uh, by the way, I shadow Sam Ellinger, so I got married over the, I believe, Aspen nice, over the weekend, looked like a very beautiful wedding. Um, You know, and, and, and until you get that done, I just I just don't think you, you can operate like that.
1: Next question comes from Colts, and I hope Do you think I— think I'll
0: ever be allowed back in Cathedral High School for saying no to— <laughs>
1: Luckily for you, there are a lot of players that come out of that building that will potentially be on the Colts, so I think you're okay.
0: Only two Mr. Footballs in the history of the school. Jay Quarry did remind me of that today. Really? Yeah, Otis Shannon, who at one point was the all-time leading rusher in the state. Don't think he is. Some, I think it was Sammy, some Sammy dude. Elwood, maybe, leading rusher now. Uh, But yeah, Terry McLaurin being the other.
1: Colts Kate, I'm going to say it's Cato. That's how Colts I'm going to. Cato, I like it. Cato June. That, yeah, that's how I'm going to pronounce it. Okay. Hey, Kevin, love the podcast and your writing. Thanks for the insight. Since June, he's been reflecting on the 21 season. Without a doubt, his favorite moment was Jonathan Taylor's breakaway run to defeat the Patriots. As a fan, Kevin, where does that moment rank iconically all time? Ooh. For you, maybe fifth behind Manning lifting the Lombardi, Obviously, Jackson picking off Tom Brady in the AFC Championship. Luck Superman dive and touchdown against the Chiefs in the playoffs at home. And Manning winning against the Bucks on Monday Night Football on Tony Dungy's birthday.
0: Hmm. Boy, those are some good ones there. Chris Presley, feel free to uh, jump in as well if you've got any. Um, so, Indy Colts moments, that's what we're going with here? Yes. Rode or away, it looks like. Um, you know, I'd probably throw in a few others. Um, I don't know if I would have the Jonathan Taylor play that that high. I mean, it was a cool moment. It was a crescendo, you know, of the crowd. I think anytime you see a big run, you see the whole kind of parting of the seas open up and right. you feel the crowd really get into it. Uh, COVID, you know, Patriots, you know, kind of the first real big primetime crowd, all that. That plays into it, but... Chris, the playoffs just add something to me. So, I I think back to the Pagano era, winning in Denver. Vontae Davis, the best player on the field on that Saturday. I think it was a Saturday in Denver. Uh, and Peyton Manning losing to his former team. The Colts go to the AFC Championship game. I get the Flategate happened and all that, but that was a pretty special moment. You know, How about getting to the Super Bowl a second time? Right. The Jets, I believe, in the AFC title game mm-hmm. here in Indy. I would think that would rank up there. If there's a regular season one that pops into my head that would be over this, I have a special place in my heart for the Reggie Wayne Orange orange Gloves game. Chuck's first game um, in the hospital with leukemia. Yep. Reggie against Charles Woodson that day. The defending Super Bowl champs having to come back.
1: Get that stretch out.
0: The stretch, the go-go gadget arms. Yeah, all of that, man. Yeah. Anything else come to you? I'm probably forgetting some, and people are probably yelling at their no. I mean, podcasting device. It also right depends
1: now. on how long you've watched the Colts. For us, the era goes back to a certain right, certain degree. But I basically go from the Manning era on when when I think of when I think of Colts moments. And yeah, the Bucks on Monday Night Football, where we all were told to go to bed at a certain time and woke up and were like, <laughs> what? Wait, we won? Right.
0: We actually won you like, don't game? lie to me. I'm still waking up. <laughs> I mean, honestly, Chris, let's go back to Harbaugh and, you know, that team making a run to the AFC title game and, and I was really having so many moments in the fourth quarter of that Pittsburgh game to win that game yep. and go to the Super Bowl. Um, yeah, I think that's one that you would probably point to as well. Absolutely. It's a great question. Fun For to y- think back on those memories.
1: It is. And hopefully we have more memories to come, and hopefully Jonathan Taylor, even though he does not crack our top five right now with that run, even though it was against uh, the nemesis of the the Patriots, he hopefully will have more of those um, down the road. This one comes from Walter. Okay, what's the deal with the Colts not pursuing Jalen Smith? He's 27. I understand he isn't the best in coverage and having the depth guys and having him as a depth guy – would you really help would he really help the defense, especially with Darius Leonard possibly being out
0: short term? Well I I love Jalen Smith. I love him. I mean he, he was such a great player. I know you do. <laughs> at Notre Dame, felt awful for him and how that career ended and all of that. But dude, he just couldn't move last year. And I just think there's an element to you want to see the younger guys, you want to see the cheaper guys. Plus, I think there's a two way street as well, Chris. Of like, does Jalen Smith want to go through the grind of spring? Does Jalen Smith want to go through the grind of, you know, training camp and, 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 you know, things like that? You know, that boy, that's, that's a whole lot, man. That's a, that's quite the grind. Um, you know, how many good reps does Jalen Smith have left? And I know that might sound harsh there. So, um, yeah, Walter, I, I I like the idea. It's a Notre Dame guy. It's a Fort Wayne guy, all of that. But mm-hmm. the Jalen Smith I saw, unfortunately, I, I feel like that injury is starting to really, really catch up to him. And to be honest, I mean, the Colts, you know, are, are I think, in a decent shape there. You know, I, I I think EJ Speed's a nice player. I don't all of a sudden think Jalen Smith would walk in here and take a spot, which sounds crazy to say, but I believe that.
1: All right, question from Hawaii. Oh. Or I should say Hawaii.
0: What? Do that again? Hawaii. I don't follow.
1: That's how they pronounce it.
0: Really? Yeah, Hawaii. Wow. I. I, Okay. All right.
1: Aloha, um, Kevin and Chris. Would you give up? And we're going to go back to the offensive side of the ball again. Would you give up a first round pick for Scary Terry, Terry McLaurin, which we've already talked about? For ammo for a future quarterback, which you mentioned is what we desperately probably need down the road. And who's that from? That is from
0: Mario. Mario Aloha Mahalo. Mahalo, yes. Boy, I sound like the uh surf shop guy at uh Forgetting Sarah Marshall <laughs> right now. Uh Mario Mario says it right there, Chris. Future quarterback. Future quarterback. I mean, that to me is just so just glaring, flashing neon lights. Um, you know, the thing about this, this question gets me thinking. I got, you know, you get all these emails about, hey, these are the new odds for the 2023 NBA champions, and these are the new odds for where Arch Manning is going to college. Mm-hmm. Chris Presley, I got odds today on the first NFL coach to be fired this coming season, and they listed them all, all 32. Where do you think Frank Reich ranked? 1 to 32. Most likely to be fired. 18th. You guess 18. If you would have told me before I got that email, hey, you're about to get an email. They're going to list the coaches 1 to 32. Where do you think Frank Reich is listed most likely to be fired? I probably would have guessed somewhere in the 12 to 14 range. Okay. I open it up, and boom, there's Matt Rule at 3 to 1. There's Mike McCarthy at 5 to 1. There's Pete Carroll at six to one. You could probably make cases for all those, especially the first two. Right. And there's Frank Reich at seven to one. Really? The fourth most likely coach to get fired. And I thought to myself, wow. And this is coming from someone in my shoes that has preached accountability and preached the seat warmers should be on. And I'm saying like twelve to fourteen range. And Vegas is coming at me and saying fourth. Ron Rivera was 8-1, to one, just behind Frank Reich there. Those are the only ones, single-digit chances there. Um, I bring that up to think to myself, like, first off, anytime Vegas does something crazy, you know, do they know a little bit more? Because in my eyes, Chris, Jim Irsay loves Frank Reich more than anybody. Right. You know, and I've always thought this. When the season ends and Frank Reich and Chris Bowder in that office— and Jim Irsay is describing it like you wouldn't believe how mad, the venom, the anger, the pissed-off nature. You know, if you saw the raw footage from the Jacksonville uh, owner suite visiting owner suite, you'd be in awe of watching Ursay's just so mad. And I kept on thinking. I think I said this back in January pods of like, isn't some of that a reflection on the head coach or GM at some point? You know, you hire them not to be in that position. You hire them not to get their ass kicked by Jacksonville in the final game of the season when they have one win all season and you're trying to get into the playoffs. But I never felt like it was there for Ursay. Now, these Vegas odds would certainly indicate that they are there. I mean, to be the, how many NFL coaches get fired every year? Six, seven, eight?
1: Yes, around eight, yeah. That'd
0: probably say a quarter of the league, you know? So based off that, you'd put Frank Reich as what? 50-50 chance to get five, Something like that based off these odds. Now, again, I don't think they're accurate. I think Ursay holds him in a different light. But is there something where Ursae sat back and thought to himself, you know what? I keep on ripping Carson Wentz to shreds. That guy that wanted Carson Wentz here, and again, I firmly believe if it was up to Frank Reich, Carson Wentz would be here another year.
1: When to, the, I mean, but based on those odds, when's the last time the Colts have fired someone mid-season, or mid-season, or first, or like the first coach to go? Because some a lot of a lot of play a lot of uh, coaches have been fired middle of the season. Sure,
0: sure, and I don't.
1: And I don't think Jim's going to do that.
0: No. And this could be end of season. I I don't believe the wording was necessarily midseason. I think just fired, you know, at some point, um, you know, after the season. Or, you know, basically they won't be coaching in that position right. in 2023. It got me thinking, Chris, also to last week's question. I believe we had a question last week to end the pod of, like, who's on the hot seat more, Bauer or Reich, something along those lines. Yep. And seeing Chuck Pagano yesterday also sparked that back in my mind and you know Chuck comes up and says hi to me he was very friendly he's he 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 is such a good dude but I am thinking, oh god this is awkward. Um Chuck Pagano got fired for far less wins than Frank Wright currently has on his resume. Um I should say far more wins, excuse me. Chuck had a lot more wins on his resume. Chuck had three playoff wins on his resume as well. Now, again, I think there was plenty of reason to fire Chuck at that time. But it is something to where, to the common Colts fan, I don't think anyone views Reich on any sort of hot seat. I mean, you just said 18th, for example. I would have said 12th to 14th. Mine comes from a little bit more Ursay and knowing his thinking. Because in my line of thought, the accountability should be ramped up. I think, I look at this and think to myself, that's a good thing for Colts fans. And I know that might sound crazy, but when has this team been out their best? Under Frank Reich. When the backs are against the wall. Honestly, when has Frank Reich been his best as a player? Thrown into the fire. Frank, we need you, man. Like, we are in desperation mode. You are all we've got. I would like to see more of that hunger. More of that foaming at the mouth. More of that, like, I'll eat anything. I'll, you know, just, it's like you're on the golf course, you've played ten holes, you you all of a sudden see the beverage cart lady for the first time. I'll do it. (laughs) I'll do anything. What do you have in there? I'll take anything. You know, it's, that sort of desperate mindset, I'd like to see. And I don't know if this is going to do anything. Hell, it might not even come across the, uh, the clip section that the Colts hand out to their organization. But... Um, it did surprise me, and obviously it surprised you, and I think a lot of Colts fans would have that reaction. I say all of this to get back to Mario's question and say, like, the win-now mode, the win-now move, if you're really feeling pressure, you, you probably make a trade or look into a trade of Terry McLaurin, but in my eyes, without that QB, man, yeah. One eye towards the future, and you cannot enter those sweepstakes.
1: And is he holding out?
0: I believe he missed many camp, yep. Yeah, so. Yep, 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 yep. Mm-hmm.
1: Again, like you talked about earlier, it's a, a, a lot of money, but um, if we get <laughs> that right quarterback in a draft, we'll see. But.
0: Right. I think we got a question on that coming up.
1: All right. This is from R. Patrick. Kevin, if you ranked the current Colts roster from the best player to the worst, how many of the top guys would you give up in exchange for a young, promising quarterback like Joe Burrow or Justin Herbert? How far down the list would you go before you say stop? So I'm going to read this list.
0: Okay. So give that to me one more time.
1: um, How many top guys would you exchange for a young, promising quarterback like Joe Burrow or Justin Herbert. Okay. And so I'm going to start to read down our players, and you tell me when you get to a point where you say, okay, that that's what I would give up for those guys.
0: Got it. So I think we're talking combination of players here? Yes. Okay. All right. All right.
1: Jonathan Taylor, DeForest Buckner, Darius Leonard, Ryan, uh, I think Matt Ryan. Quentin Nelson.
0: Oh, Boy, um, you know this sounds weird, Chris. i pr- give me those first four again. Stop after Ryan. You'd say Taylor,
1: Jonathan, Jonathan Taylor, DeForest Buckner, Darius Leonard. Would you trade those three for? And then
0: was Matt Ryan that that next name you mentioned? Yes. I would trade those four for one of them. You think I'm crazy? It's up to you. I mean, it's, I think that's code for yes, you are. Um, <laughs> well, I trade Matt Ryan because I mean, who cares? Well, I mean, yeah. you know, like I, th- that one. It's like okay, it's the quarterback leaving. Um, so I'm basically trading Taylor Buckner Leonard for one of those, one of those quarterbacks, for, Burrow and or, or right. Herbert. Um, Okay, this is my line of thinking on it because it does sound kind of wild when I say it out loud, and now I think about it again. I'm like, gosh, Kevin, have you been... Well, you're freeing
1: up space, have too. Have been
0: drinking on this Tuesday morning? Uh, good cap situation. Uh, rookie contracts for Burrow and Herbert, so it allowed me to continue to build. I'm not giving up any draft picks. I mean, think about that, man. Uh, you know, to go find your next quarterback, you're going to have to mortgage some serious draft capital. And you know what? I trust Chris Bauer to draft. Mm-hmm. And, like, running back, I just... I just don't hold it in that light. You know, Buckner would be a very significant loss. Leonard would be a very significant loss. But I look at it and think to myself, all right, you're in a good cap situation. Can I go out in free agency? And let's say Buckner is – let's just throw out a grade for Buckner. Let's say Buckner is an A-. Can I go out in free agency and find a B-plus at that position? Then can I come back in the draft and in round one I take the best will linebacker in the draft? And round two, for some reason, I take a Jonathan Taylor that you know is somewhat similar. I, Taylor is just is in a different stratosphere, but right. you know what I'm getting at yes. of whatever that B talent to the A player. And then I've got Joe Burrow or uh, Justin Herbert. I I do it. Hell, I might give up all of them, but I'll keep Nelson. You need somebody on the side of the building, and but you need someone to Chris to run into it. Morgan Wallen. I hear they got a great, (laughs) great happy hour menu there. Um, Yeah, I don't know. Is that crazy?
1: I think Taylor's going to be the one that people are going to give you the most pushback for. But Buckner's getting a little bit older. Darius Leonard, we don't know what his availability is going to be. Obviously, a big contract. Ryan, like you said, only two years left. And with Taylor... Most running backs only play in the league for, or dominant in the league for three to five years. So, but a quarterback—that's what you need. That's the the heartbeat of a team, and that's the one thing that we've uh, been lacking.
0: Does Arch Manning look at all like Peyton? I don't see it.
1: No, he does not.
0: Now, Arch is Cooper's kid. Yes. Georgia, Texas, Alabama. Not bad right
1: whoever has the most money
0: wine and dine than those right yep,
1: that's who's gonna get them all right how many
0: more we got left we got two more okay. this one Let's comes go. from
1: jay been thinking about the 2019 draft the only extension from the 2019 draft class that makes sense at this point to him is bobby okariki do the colts do you know if the colts are working with this people second question additionally if paris campbell has a healthy season say 800 yards four to five touchdowns do the Colts potentially give him a franchise tag to prove it? Normally they don't do such a thing, but what do you think?
0: Um, Jay, I mean, this is all sincerity. Thank you for sending in the question. Um, no, 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 no. What was the jingle for that? No, 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 no. Meow, 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 meow. meow, Yeah, and I hate cats. I hate cats.
1: So do I. I'm not a cat guy.
0: Chris, no. The franchise tag. I don't have it in front of me. I'm going to guess it's probably. I'm going to guess it's probably twenty million for next year. You imagine paying Paris Campbell twenty million? I I don't. Maybe Jay's not familiar with how much that is, uh, but that would be the dumbest decision in the history of football. Not a chance.
2: Yeah, probably not.
0: But it'd be one of the dumber. It'd probably be the dumbest decision that Chris Bowers made. It, one year prove a deal. If Paris Campbell goes out there and plays all 17 games, Chris, and he has what does he say, 800 yards and a handful of touchdowns, yep, you you come back and you say Paris, we are so happy for you. We, we're glad that we stuck with you. This and that. Here is one year and here is three and a half million four million mil. I, I I don't know. You got to do it again, and then then we might you know do a little multi year thing. But I mean, slap the franchise tag and say one year 20 million. Yeah. 2019 draft class, it's just, let me think about it. Rocky scene's gone. Banigu could be gone. Uh, P- 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 Bobby O'Kara, I, I probably don't give him the extension yet. I probably want to see him just one more year. I don't know if he's there just yet. Um, Paris, obviously, we just talked about. Kari Willis is retired. Martel, Marvell Tell's been cut. EJ Speed, I'd probably give another deal, too. And then who were those late ones? Yeah. Um, the two o lineman. Barton, the big tackle, he didn't last long. Javon Patterson, I think, retired pretty early, too. And then uh, that D-end, Gary, uh, Gary Green. He spent a minute with New England. So, yeah, it's um, definitely not a good draft class.
1: And, Bobby, if you're listening, sorry for the uh, O'Kariki instead of O'Karake. <laughs> Still, still hard to get used to at times. Hey,
0: you know, McAfee is never going never gonna to let us forget that one, right?
1: <laughs> All right. The last question is a fun one. We're going to end on a fun question from Casey. Wants to know if the offense and the defensive roles were reversed. So if you take the D line and move into offensive line, offensive line goes to defensive line, okay. receivers switch to corners, All et cetera. Right. So we're
0: playing both. We're, a class, we're, we're the Sheridan Blackhawks. We're, the class, we're a Class A football Yes. So okay.
1: we're mixing things up. Each side changes the rules. Which unit would win in a scrimmage game? And who do you think the quarterback would be?
0: i tell you what. Notre Dame is in scramble mode early in this game. They are playing with fire against Texas a m We got the box score up looking at it. Um, <laughs> who would be the quarterback? That's a good one, Chris Presley. So I need a defensive player to play quarterback. Is that what you're getting at?
1: Well, if the roles are, I mean...
0: Somebody on defense. I mean, who's who's the quarterback on defense? It's not a, you know, it's kind of hard to.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: Leonard looks like a really natural athlete. Like, I've seen him swing a golf club and, like, swing a softball bat. I mean, hell, he looks great doing all that. Uh, I I would put Julian Blackman at quarterback, I think. Okay.
2: It's a guy I feel like I
0: trust. Kenny Moore running the option. You know my affinity for the triple option. Mm-hmm. Dude, I don't know about you, but I think I would take the defense over the offense in a lot of these. Cornerbacks, I think they're just too fast for those for those wideouts to get down in a stance. Desmond Patman, Mike Strawn to crouch down and really defend. I, I don't know. I think Isaiah Rogers could... <laughs> uh, D-line. Yeah, I'm going to go the D-line. I'm going to go... I don't know. Maybe the defense... I feel like the defense is more versatile athletes.
1: I, I, yeah.
0: And I'm going speed over power.
1: Yeah, we're we're going Lamar Jackson instead of Aaron Rodgers.
0: Sure, uh, sure, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'd really like Aaron Rodgers, um, but yeah, I see what we're saying with that one.
1: No, I, who was that from? That was from Casey.
0: Casey, nice one, nice one, nice one, nice one. Scored so Kevin on the air Casey options. wrapped it up. We, we just gave up two runs.
1: Oh gosh, who are you playing? A and M. You said A and M.
0: Yeah, that's it's over. Number five in the Do nation. You like this? I believe. I. I, I I'm going to watch this tonight and wear it again tomorrow to night in the fan cave. Yeah, let's celebrate a good season. Yeah, Kevin's
1: wearing his Notre Dame Irish baseball jersey, nice little pinstripe.
0: Yeah, a little throwback. I think there's pictures of Ryan Bowen wearing this at, like, the age of six or something. <laughs> uh, Kevin,
1: Kevin, before we end, did you have a good Father's Day?
0: I, I did. I did. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, yeah, it was a nice Father's Day. And um, We were up in Michigan last week. Mm-hmm. And then actually stopped at Notre Dame on the way back. Oh, nice! Yeah, we were in New Buffalo and stopped uh, on campus. Walked around a little bit. Rosie could get some, get a little exercise out, and packed her in the car. Took a, uh, uh, had lunch there on campus, at kind of their their union, if you will. Yep. And then um, got back in the car, and she took a nice nap on the way home. So um, obviously Father's Day, you're thinking about all those that can't be here, um, fathers as well, and. How lucky we are to have had those figures in our life or have those figures in our life, so very grateful and very lucky to be be a dad, yeah, and um yeah Rosie, boy she is uh <laughs> she's something just turned two i That's can
1: I can tell from your face, just turned two <laughs> is just she one. in the the no stage everything is no,
0: uh sometimes. Sometimes in, I try to sing. It is a no. It, it's a very quick no on that. Um, I like to think I got a decent voice. Hot Cross Buns is one of my go-tos. Okay. I, I like to think that's a decent voice there. But nice. Love it. Uh, he's Chris Presley. i Kevin Bowen. Uh, let's do one again next week. What is today? Tuesday? Yes. Yeah, let's kind of stick here. Um... I'll have to come up with an idea for next week. I don't know. Should that, is that the one we should do, the Grigson-Ballard one? I've got Aaron. He's always tweeting at me. When are you going to do the Grigson versus Ballard pod? <laughs> you think that's a good late June one?
1: Yeah, why not?
0: i dive into that next week. Right, thank you, everybody, for listening to this edition of Kevin's Corner. Everybody have a great week. Stay cool if you can, and we'll talk to you next week on Kevin's Corner. This has been Kevin Bowen. Thank you for listening to another edition of Kevin's Corner. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher for the best Colts and Pacers coverage.